revealed yourself to be as we read your self-revelation of your word, the very word of God. And Lord, as we realize that, as we understand that, we do make room for you to do what you want to do. Another way of saying, Lord, your will be done. Do your will in our lives and the lives of people around us. Lord, might we understand the reality of, well, the, the difficulty of life in this world simply because of the reality of spiritual warfare, the reality of sin in this world. It has marred what you intended it to be. And yet, Lord, your son came. Lord Jesus, you came to give us victory over these things. You are our overcomer. You have overcome the world. And for that, we thank you. And have your way in our hearts now as we bow before you. As we look into your word in just a few moments. Have your way in our hearts. Change us. Do your work of molding us and forming us into the image of Jesus. And might he be glorified. Father, might you be glorified. Holy Spirit, might you be glorified as you work in our hearts today. So God, we bow before you. We worship you. We worship you today. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning, guys. How are you all? Good to see you here. Guys, would you stand and turn to your neighbor and greet them in the name of the Lord this morning? Great to see you guys here this morning. If you guys could take a seat. Hey, guys, we're going to have more time for fellowship after the service, right? So sit down. You know, it's, a, it's, it's always a wonderful thing to see you guys fellowshipping with each other. It truly is. Um, so today's Super Bowl Sunday. You know what? I have to say that it is a, well, it's kind of a high point in our culture, I guess. Um, but, you know, it's just a football game. Yeah, tell the players that today, right? 
But you know what? Honestly, I mean, we, we get an opportunity to do what we're doing right now every single Sunday. We have a super Sunday every week, don't we? Don't we? Because we gather in the presence of the Lord. He's with us. We know he's with us. We have a time of worship. You know, I, I see tears in people's eyes. I see you guys worshiping. And as that song says, as we just sang, he's working. He's doing a work in our hearts. Mending hearts that need mending, bringing healing, uh, transforming us into his own image, whatever it is. You know, uh, bringing comfort, bringing hope, whatever it is. And so as we worship him today, and as we continue to worship, as we bow before his word, we'll see him continuing to do that. We're a couple of things. Open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to be looking at the first eight verses of, of this chapter uh, this morning. A couple things I want to mention to you before we get into the word. Um, we want to continue to pray for uh, Crystal Helmick. Uh, she's still in the hospital. She has not yet had her surgery. She needs to have a triple bypass heart surgery, uh, but she's not well enough at this point for that to take place. Um, she had some tests done earlier in the week to see what's going on internally for her. She had a fever something going on internally, they were looking into that, but they just have to get that settled before they actually do the surgery. So uh, we, we need to pray for her. She, um, her, her body is not good. She, obviously, she doesn't have a sound body, but we're praying that the Lord will uh, work through all this, bring her through it so that she can um, function uh, as a worshiper of our God, and that she is. She, she is a worshiper of our Lord. And, and I, I would also ask you to be praying for my mom and our family. Uh, as you know, she lives up in Hesperia, and she has not been well. She's been in hospice care for a while, uh, but she has taken a turn. She now is in transition, you know, and, um, you know, and I was thinking about this, that, that word, in transition, you know, what that basically means, of course, and, and we, we know, transitioning, physically transitioning from life to death, physically. But at the same time, in her heart, in her soul, spiritually, she is transitioning from life to eternal life. She's already got eternal life, but, you know, it's like a transition to be in the very presence of God, Right? And that's so much better. You know, so even as I pray for, for, for my mom, it's like, you know, she's 89 years old. She's been sick a while. Uh, I, I, as we were worshiping, I was thinking this. I was like, do I want her healed? I don't think I do. Physically, I don't think I do. I don't think I would want her to be healed from this to do it all again in a couple years. You know what I mean? I mean, it's like, and I, I think that the Lord has given me the blessing of just accepting this for what it is. But you know what? The Lord has overcome the world. You know, the, I mean, she loves Jesus. She is ready to go be, be with him. And we just pray that she's comfortable. So pray that, that we can 
uh, along with the hospice care uh, the workers, you know, a wonderful group of people um, to uh, bring comfort to her. So I, I, would, I would appreciate your prayers for that. Uh, and one other thing I want to add, um, and uh, I don't want to uh, bring attention to anybody who doesn't necessarily want it, but at the same time, uh, we have been praying for a couple of months for uh, Matthew Fulkerson, who had a very serious auto accident a couple months ago in serious condition, uh, critical for a while. Um, he's with us this morning worshiping the Lord. Right, right over here, Matthew. God bless you. It's so good to see you here. You know, and I didn't tell you I was going to do this, but I saw you sitting there, and it's like, you know what? We just need to praise the Lord and thank Him for what He's done. Amen. It's great to see you, Matthew. It truly, truly is. His wife and baby are in, in the mama's room, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure they're in there. That's where they were last week together. But uh, it's awesome to see what God has done. Let's pray. I want, I want to seek the Lord for all these, all these things that we just mentioned. Father, we lift Crystal to you. Pray for my mom. Lord, we thank you for the work that you've done in, in Matthew's body, bringing him to the place where he is so quickly after such a serious uh, accident. But God, all, all three of these, your children, have need. Continue to be with Matthew as he continues his healing process. We pray for Crystal. Lord, do your work in her body. Enable her to, to be strengthened. Strengthen her, Lord. Uh, take away that fever, whatever's going on internally for her so that she can, so that she can have this surgery, this surgery, Lord, to Lord, lengthen her life. Lord, pray for mom. I pray for my sisters. Um, um, I lift myself to you, Lord, our family. Um, as we go through this this quote-unquote transition period, Lord. We know you're able to heal. Do your will. And even, even as I said, I'm not sure that that's what I want, healing. And yet, Lord, it's your will that we ask for. Do your will in her life, in Crystal's life, in Matthew's life, in his precious family, in all of our lives, Lord. We, we bow before you to, to ask that your will be done. We make room for you. This is our surrender, Lord. We just sang it. Not our will, might your will be done. And might we worship you all the while. Lord, might we able to, to cry out and sing, regardless of the difficulties in our lives, the pain that we, that we suffer. Might we say, it is well with my soul. And so God, have your way. Do your work in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Okay, guys, 1 Peter chapter 2, would you stand with me? I'm going to be reading the first 8 verses and we're going to be going through this passage together on this Koinonia Sunday. We're going to be celebrating communion at the end of the service. Beginning with verse 1 here in chapter 2. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. 
if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. I want to pause there and just ask, have you guys found that the Lord is indeed gracious? Yes. Amen. Coming to him as to a living stone. Rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious. And he who comes, excuse me, he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. And Father, we pray that you would pour your spirit out upon this place in our hearts. He, he has been here with us, revealing Jesus to us as we have been bowing before him. Now might we bow before your word, who has been given, which has been given to us by your Holy Spirit, through men whom he inspired to write as we read the writing of the Apostle Peter. Give us understanding, we pray, by your Spirit. Open up the eyes of our hearts and give us the understanding and, Lord, the wisdom to apply these truths to our lives as you speak to our hearts today, as you write your word upon our hearts today. And so, God, have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys may be seated. We ended the first chapter, of course, last week as we were together. The, the, the basic thrust of that paragraph, that last paragraph in the first chapter um, the statement that we were born again through the word of God which lives and abides forever. Based on the fact that we have been begotten again by God. He has given us his life. As we see here, through the word of God which abides, which, which lives and abides Forever, And Peter quoted from uh, the book of Isaiah, the writings of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 40, verses 6 through 8, speaking about the word of God as such, as we saw in verses 24 and 25, reading that all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And then Peter writes, now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Therefore, kind of like he's saying, because of all this, guys, behave yourselves. 
It's kind of like what that's like, right? Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, laying those things aside. Um, malice basically is wickedness in general. Now we know, according to the prophet Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 17, 9, that every human heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And when we first begin to hear those things, we're going, <gasps> uh-uh, <laughs> right? Because we don't want to think of ourselves that way. We don't believe that we are that way. We think we're okay. Oh, we're not okay apart from the work of God by his Holy Spirit and through his word in our hearts. The heart of man is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. And I don't, want, I don't want to belabor that point, but guys, I think it's such an important thing for us to understand and, and to realize. And, and the, fact, the, the fact of the matter is that in the desperate wickedness in my heart, and again, th th that word wickedness, the malice that, that, that Peter is bringing up, the, the wickedness in general within me and within you, I'm not the only one. Um, you know, that along with the deceit, my heart is deceitful above all things. I mean, that, that's a crazy statement. You know, I, in, in, in reading this truth and then surveying my life and examining my own heart, I find that the words are true. In fact, my, my, my heart is so deceitful, deceitful above all things, able to deceive myself. I deceive myself into thinking that I'm not all that bad. So when I reject the truth of my own wickedness, the deception in my heart is at work. Does that make sense? That's what's going on with us. And so, it's important to understand, but Peter says, lay aside all malice. Lay aside all deceit. It's interesting that he uses those words that we find in Jeremiah 17.9. Lay aside all this deceit. Deceit, deceit being this idea of, of craftiness, using, using de devious words, using deception, basically, Basically, to get what we want, to, to make, I'll, I'll deceive you into thinking something about me in order to, to make you comfortable to give me what I want from you. It could just be information. It could just be what, whatever. But in our desire to make people think something that is not true to be true, we have to use deceit to bring them to that. Lay it aside. Lay aside all hypocrisy, all pretense, you know, pretending to be something that we're not. Laying aside envy, which is resentment towards someone who has something that we want. Lay aside all evil speaking, or some translations say slander, 
which is what that word basically is, you know, tearing down a person through making false claims about that person, slander. Laying them aside, setting them aside, no longer having that as a part of what we are and what we do, but laying it aside, putting it aside, or putting it off. That word laying aside, we see in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And so in Hebrews 12, we see that we need to lay aside these things that, that Peter is mentioning here, lay aside those things so that we can run the race. Meaning, if we don't lay those things aside, we will not be able to run effectively this race that God has set before us. James chapter 1, verse 21, the same words. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Lay, it, lay, lay them aside to receive the word of God. And, and really we see the, the, the same emphasis here in 1 Peter chapter 2. Lay these things aside, as we see there in the second verse, as newborn babes desiring the pure milk of the word. If these things are not laid aside, then the desire for the word of God gets clouded, begins to go away. And so we need to lay those things aside. The same Greek word is translated as put off in Colossians chapter 3, verse 8. But now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Very similar things, some exactly the same. F.B. Meyer writes, These things spoil the appetite for God's word. As surely as sweet meats clog the physical appetite and taste. Sweet meats being desserts. You guys like dessert? It's not, it's, it's not unusual for me to have dessert before I have my main course. And then I have dessert throughout the day. No, I, I want it, that's for sure. Anyway, Meyer goes on, many cannot enjoy the word of God because their minds are so occupied with these poisoned dainties or with the sugar-coated sweetmeats of exciting or questionable literature, of worldly amusements, and of evil imaginings. These things must be at once and forever put away. You must elect the cross. There must be a casting aside of the shameful works of darkness, so only can the appetite for God's word become vigorous and eager. Clear away the rubbish, and the spring will burst up naturally from the ground. Got to do some gardening in our hearts, right? Got to do some gardening. So we are to desire the word, verse 2, as newborn babes. We are newborn babes. Babes. Don't just 
Let's not think that, well, in the same way that babies desire milk, we're to desire the word. That is true. That's an, that, that is what Peter is saying. But it's not like we're not newborn babies. We are. We have been born again. And regardless of how long ago it has been since that new birth in us took place, we still are newborn babes. There's this sense that as long as we are living in this world, you can be a, a Christian for six days, six months, six years, 60 years, still being that newborn babe in the sense of having been begotten again and learning and growing and being nourished to become more like Jesus. None of us are there yet. And we will not reach the maturity, we will not reach adulthood until we are face-to-face -face with him. And so, as we understand that, we need to focus on the reality of, of our need for the word of God. And we are commanded, in verse 2, desire. That, that is in the imperative. That is a command. Desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. So we see the connection between the sin in our hearts and these deeds that take place that, 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 that we do because of the sin in our hearts. And, you know, a partial list, you know, the malice, deceit, hypocrisy and all. We're to lay that aside. We're to, we're to desire the, the pure milk of God's word. And in doing that, we, there's a linking together of those things. And we will grow as a result of that. I want to talk a little, about, a little bit about being newborn babes, newborn babies. Babies are totally helpless and ultimately dependent on their parents because they, they can't do anything for themselves. A newborn baby, an infant, totally and completely dependent upon someone else to care for them. And they, they cry, a baby cries, and, and we, we give that child attention, whether it's to change the diaper, feed them, whatever it may be. Uh, and... That's what we are. We need the attention that only God can give to us in a spiritual sense. We are the babies and he is our mom and our dad. As our heavenly father, that's what he does. As a baby cannot survive without parents caring for that baby, so we spiritually as newborn babies, begotten again, given the life of God, we cannot survive spiritually apart from God the Father taking care of us in that same way. So he gives us nourishment through the word of God. And that, that, that's why he has given us God's word, of course, to, to reveal who he is. But as we understand that, we, we learn to depend on him more and more and more and more. You know, as we grow in our relationship with Jesus, we grow in our own understanding of actually how much we need him. 
It's not like we didn't need him when we first came to him. Of course, we acknowledged we, we, acknowledged we had a need for eternal life because of our sinfulness. But then there's the growth, the growth aspect. You know, in the beginning of our walk, we don't understand that. We don't see the need for that. We don't, we, we, our, our, our sights aren't on that. And, and, and we can stay stable in the sense of not moving forward in our growth in the Lord, but being saved and just being very happy with that. I'm going to heaven because Jesus died for my sin but not growing and becoming more like Jesus and thus being used by him in the lives of other people. We, we can do that. But as we do begin to grow, we, we see in greater clarity our need for our Heavenly Father. And he, like we who are parents, like us, it's like, what wouldn't we do for our children? Your child has a need of some kind. It's a legitimate need. You know it's a need, not just a desire. You, you do what you can to meet that need. Now, one of the issues with that is, as a father myself, my resources are kind of limited. No. They're extremely limited. God's resources are not, right? He is able to do anything that we may need. But he's the one meeting that need. He's the one who causes us to grow. 1 Corinthians 3, 6 says, I planted, Paul writing, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Planting the word of God in the hearts of people, God gives the increase. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16, Paul writing, but speaking the truth in love, speaking of the body of Christ, speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom? The whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. That's speaking about the growth of the church, the maturity of the church, the maturity of other members of the church. So you grow and I grow as we minister to one another with whatever gift it is that God has given to us. But the focus is speaking the truth in love. That's what's going on as this group, the growth takes place, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Philippians 4.19 tells us, as Paul writes, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And so we see the reality of what, what he can do. You know, in, in the beginning of the gospel accounts, in Matthew, uh, we, we see this in the fourth chapter. We see it both in Matthew and, and Luke. Uh, Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. And in Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 3, we see this. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the Son of God, 
command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. As physical bread is to the body, the word of God is to the soul, bringing nourishment and growth. So we're to lay aside these thoughts, these attitudes uh, from which we have been delivered and long for God's word, the pure milk of the word of God, that we may grow through it. And of course we see this, this linking of the laying aside and the longing for the Word of God, which brings growth. Now, one thing I want to, to mention in that, you know, it's like the laying aside of these things, that's a, a good word for that would be repentance, wouldn't it? A change of heart that results in a change of action, a change of direction. Repentance does not in itself causes to grow. But in actuality, repentance is an indication that we are taking the Word of God seriously. Re repentance is nothing more than the response to the Word of God, which is taken into a heart that is a heart of belief. God, I believe what you say, so I'm going to apply it to my life. And so repentance takes place. So I don't want to place too much emphasis on repentance in the sense of repentance itself doing a work in us. It is a response to what God has done for us. But it is a real indication that God's work has been taking place in us. It's a natural response to believing the word of God. If indeed you've tasted, verse 3, if you've tasted that the Lord is gracious. Psalm 34, 8, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Very well known, a familiar passage in the scriptures. The psalmist goes on, David, who wrote this, blessed is the man who trusts in him. If indeed, or many times that word if, could have been replaced by the word since. Because you believe. Because you have, excuse me, because you have tasted. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is gracious. We indeed have done that. Beginning in verse 4, we see him talking, writing about this work that God has done in us as his church. But it begins with the, um, this would be called a, uh, I was just looking at this yesterday, so it's familiar to me today. I'll forget by tomorrow. But a, a participial phrase or clause. It's a part of the participle coming. It's a, a, ver a verb that is there as a, a, as a description. In this case, as an adverb, there's a clause that, that, that speaks about how um, we are to come to him uh, and, and the way that the, 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 uh, the way that God is doing a work in us and building us up as a spiritual house or as a church. 
coming to him as to a living stone. Not, not a dead stone, a, a living stone. And, and, and we can see here in verse 4 how, how Peter has in mind these verses from the Old Testament that we see in verses 6, 7, and 8. And he refers to them here, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. So we'll get into those descriptions of Jesus as we look at these Old Testament verses. But we are to come to him, in coming to him, we also are being built up. Verse 5, you also as living stones, and interestingly, he uses the same exact words to describe us as the church individually, living stones, plural, making up this spiritual house or the church. As living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are joined together as a church. We are being built up as the church, as this spiritual house, as this holy priesthood, so that we can offer up spiritual sacrifices to God. See, it's not about us being together. It's about us corporately together, not being together, but doing something as we are together, praising God, worshiping Him, and offering spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to Him. The living stone. Jesus is a living stone because He is alive. He was dead but has been raised from the dead. His body was dead, of course. That's what we're talking about. But he is a living stone because he's alive. We are living stones because he is alive in us. We have his life in us. That's why we can be called living stones. And the reference here to stones, this is like a, it, 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 it's a building stone. It's a shaped stone that we can see in, in, in buildings. Uh, we, we, we see, uh, look across the street, we'll see a block wall. Those, those, each, each brick actually is a stone as described by this particular word, used to build the wall. And we, as living stones, Jesus is putting together, joining together to build his church. And so it, the, the, the building idea is used metaphorically here but we as the church are being built up. He already is, Peter's already been writing about us being built, uh, born again and all. So we have the life of God. We are a, a spiritual house. Ephesians 2.22 says, In whom, uh, Paul writing, In whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. And we are a holy priesthood. God has made us kings and priests. Later on, we're going to see that in verse, verse 9, we are called a royal priesthood. And as priests, we are joined together, ministering to one another, representing God as his ambassadors, but also being used by God to minister and to serve one another. A holy priesthood. A, a group of people 
that God wants to use as his representatives speaking for him as well as being used by him to one another and in one another's lives. And we have been set apart for that specifically. A royal, excuse me, a holy priesthood, royal priesthood we're going to be looking at next week. To offer up these spiritual sacrifices which are acceptable to God. We can't help but think of Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Paul writing, I beseech you therefore, and the context of this, these, these words, are that in the first 11 chapters of, of Romans, he has dealt with doctrine. And basically, again, he's saying, as we see so often in the New Testament letters, because this is true, this should be our response. Therefore, therefore, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Some translations say, which is your service of worship. A reasonable response to the truth of God is to lay ourselves on that altar, allowing Him to form us into whatever He wants us to be, to be used by Him in any way He chooses to use us. Laying our bodies down as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice, holy, set apart, and acceptable to him. In verse 6, we see these words. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture. And then he begins to quote out of Isaiah 28, 16. Which says this. Therefore, thus says the Lord God. And I'm, I'm reading from Isaiah now. Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. In the Septuagint, act hastily is translated as be ashamed. And the idea is, is, is retreating hastily out of displeasure or out of fear, or for any reason. We will not be ashamed. Jesus, in regard to the church, said this in Matthew 16, 18. He said, and I also say to you, he's speaking to Peter, that you are Peter. It is the Hebrew word petros, which means stone. And on this rock, which is the Hebrew, or excuse me, is the Greek word Petra, which means bedrock. Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So in speaking of the church, he's going to build the church on this rock. The way that I read this passage, this rock is Jesus himself which is consistent with what we read in Ephesians chapter 2, as well as what we see in the, prophet of Isaiah, in the prophecy of Isaiah. 
that Jesus is that stone who's become the chief cornerstone upon which the entire church is being built. Uh, Ephesians re refers to the fact that, that it's the apostles and prophets and Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. So all of, it, all of us as a church built upon him. But he will build his church. He's the one that builds it, and nothing can keep him from it. Even though the gates of Hades attempt to, all the power of, of, of Hades is set against his church, it is always going to stand. Bless you. Again, Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 19, Paul writing, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Now he's writing to these heathen people, formerly heathen people, who received Christ and now are part of the church, and now being joined together. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So the church being built upon the prophets and the apostles, from whom, by the way, we have received... I, say, I should say, through whom we have received the word of God. Jesus being the chief cornerstone. Verse 7, to the disobedient. He says, therefore, to you who believe, he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, he is this precious stone, this cornerstone, Jesus, but to those who are disobedient to the truth, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense there in verse 8. Two passages that Peter quotes from the Old Testament. Psalm 118.22, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. The leadership of the Jews, Jewish leaders, rejected Jesus who is the chief cornerstone of the building that he wants to build, that he is building. They rejected him. And we see in verse 8, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. In the book of Matthew, chapter 21, we see Jesus referring to um, Psalm 118.22 as he's speaking to the Jewish leaders. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the Scriptures... It's interesting how we see Jesus and the writers of the epistles consistently going to Old Testament passages. The Word of God says, the Word of God says, the Word of God says, and we need to be that, we, we should get a clue, right? The Word of God says. This is what God says. You may, you may say this, they may say that. This is what God says. Have you never read in the scriptures, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, these Jewish leaders, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him 
to powder. Now when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking of them, but when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitudes because they took him for a prophet. Jesus being this stone, a, a, a building stone or a shaped stone, a stone which is used to build a building, became the chief cornerstone. And you know, as Americans, I, I think we, especially 21st century Americans, it's hard for us to appreciate the idea of uh, the, uh, the, these building stones, especially the chief cornerstone. I, I just think of the times I've been blessed to be able to be in Israel and sitting on the Mount of Olives, which is east of uh, the, the uh, Temple Mount. And you look across uh, you, the, the, the valley, the Kidron Valley, and you look at the wall, that ancient wall that has been built and the size of those stones on that wall. And you see a big bus driving down that road next to those stones, the bus is dwarfed by those stones. It's amazing. It's like, my goodness, how did they get that thing in place? I mean, they, they were ingenious the way that they do that, but the point being, it's not just like a brick wall. Now, if, if we took one of those blocks before it was was laid into that wall, and we begin to pound somebody with it, that can do a lot of damage. If we can hold up the, 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 the that I used to be able to do, I don't know if I could do it now, anyway. But you, you get my point. And, and, and Jesus said to these Jewish leaders who had been given the responsibility and the privilege to bring the truth of God to the people of Israel, as the Messiah had come, they rejected him. They rejected the stone. And Jesus said, whoever falls on this stone will be broken. Brokenness is, a, is something that is very valuable to God. Brokenness in us that we might, in that brokenness, receive more of him. And be used by him. A broken vessel is not going to, or, or excuse me, an unbroken vessel is not going to allow that which is placed inside it to come out. He has, he has entered into your heart. He has placed the Holy Spirit within you. And if you are not broken, that Holy Spirit will be there, can continue to be there. You'll be saved, but you will not have any impact on the lives of other people. And when we go through things that we go through in life, We all go through hard things. We've seen loved ones around us get sick and pass on to go home to be with the Lord. That's a, that's a time of brokenness that God is going to use in our hearts to become more like him so that the sweet fragrance of who he is can affect the people around us. And Jesus becomes, attracted, uh, becomes attractive to other people because of that. And so I, I think there's a question that we need we each need to ask ourselves. Have I fallen upon him 
and become broken? Or is he, because of my rejection of him, is he going to fall on me and crush me? That's kind of where we're at. We're in one place or the other. In one place or the other. And, and the crushing will only take place because of the reality of rejection, which only takes place because of our disobedience, which only is there because of unbelief. It's an issue of faith is what it is. Do we believe the word of God or not? Do we believe Jesus is who the word of God says he is or do we not? It really does come down to that. And in believing, are we responding in a way that illustrates that, yes, indeed, we do believe? We can see it in the lives of others around us. In Hebrews 3, verse 16 to 19, we see these words, For who, as, as, as he refers to the people of Israel in the wilderness, For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt, led by Moses? Now, with whom was he angry 40 years? God, is who he's speaking of. Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter into his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. And in that passage, I think it's important to, to see those words, rebelled, in verse 16, sinned, in verse 17, did not obey, verse 18, unbelief, in verse 19. All those words apply, and they're linked together. It, it's as if they are equated, but they all are linked to, as we see in verse 9, so we see they could not entrend because of unbelief. So we see that a person who's disobedient, not receiving the truth of Jesus being that chief cornerstone, not believing that, really it's because of unbelief that that, that takes place. Unbelief is the heart of the issue. And the heart of the issue is always the issue of the heart. And if it's a heart of unbelief, we cannot enter into the presence of God. But we, in this room, we are among those who believe. There may be some in this room who don't. I don't know all of your hearts. God does. But those of us who believe... We are those who are being built upon the chief cornerstone as members of the church. And we become members of the church as we place our faith in him for what he has done for us, dying on that cross for our sins, taking our sins upon himself. And right now we're going to celebrate that. We're going to partake of communion right now. I'm going to ask Richard to come on up. Hopefully he's just right up. There he is. Um, just waiting for the word.
Um, he's going to lead us in a song as we focus on what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. I then am going to read a passage out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Then we'll partake together. Then we'll be dismissed to go back into room 316 and fellowship together over a meal.